Quick question for me and the Making Money team. Would you like us to come into your workplace to teach you and your colleagues more about personal finance? It's an absolute joke that we're not taught what to do with money, and this knowledge gap makes most people much poorer over their lifetimes. Take your work-based pension. Most people have no idea what the fund they're invested in does, and plenty of people just opt out altogether. We can cover whatever is most important, from the basics to complex financial retirement planning supported by qualified financial advisors who are not there to sell you anything. We take different approaches for different people in a company depending on stuff like their age or their income. Anyway, if you think people you work with could benefit from financial education, then please email will at getmost.co.uk so he can explain more. It doesn't matter what your role is in the business, we want to hear from you. So email will at getmost.co.uk. We've moved from one world into another. I don't know if anyone's quite got their heads around what a massive change this is. In less than two years, the Bank of England base rate has skyrocketed from 0.1% to 5.25%, causing a massive impact on the property market and mortgage holders alike. The only way it's going back is if something goes really wrong. On top of that, there are fears of a crash on the horizon. When you have a big correction in interest rates like we've seen, logically property value should correct downwards, but... And you might actually have a 30% crash in real terms yeah. already. If you wanted to buy anyway, it's good news. Do you think it's worth it, property investment in today's market? You need to be approaching it in a professional manner, even if you're not going to be doing it professionally. It's hard to think of anything less suited to be a get-rich-quick scheme. That's the, that's the real secret. Okay, today's episode, we're joined by Rob Dix. So just to read off many of your accolades. So you're the host of the Property Podcast, which I think is the UK's top property podcast. We say so, yeah. I'm saying so as well. <laughs> you're one of the co-founders of Property Hub and author of The Price of Money, How to Prosper in a Financial World That's Rigged Against You. That's right. We're going to split this into mortgages, the housing market and your forecast, and then we're going to look at the investment. Let's just start, first of all, with... Um, a general question, because I, mm. I consume loads of your content. Property Hub, the channel, I love I love the stuff there. Thank you. Like we were saying off camera, I like that you're a calm and reassuring voice within the space mm. that I think centers around doom a lot of the time. Absolutely. Doom but, sells. Yeah, it does. But, but you do have some more controversial opinions as well, or more contrarian is mm. probably a better way of saying it. Yeah. I'd like to ask what your most contrarian opinion is. I've got loads of them. So... The one that comes to mind is like, because I rent ah, I as well it. as being an owner, yeah. uh, I'm quite pro like more legislation to protect tenants, which really annoys landlords. I don't like that at all. And then at the same time, like people who are renting don't like me because I'm a landlord. So no one likes me, which is a shame because I quite like to be popular, but it <laughs> really like kind of you. offend everyone. Yeah. So the, 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 your, your whole argument around rent um, and buy centers around that you like freedom mm -hmm. and most people like security. Totally. Yeah, so the security component of owning a home. And obviously you you do own homes, you mm -hmm. own investments, but your own home is rented. And I think three years ago, people would like poo-poo that off as crazy. I think today people might understand it a little bit more. I think, yeah, we're getting some traction. Yes. Uh, you have to own assets, but you don't have to live in your assets, mm -hmm. is how I put it. Owning your own home is really tax advantaged, and it's easier to get mortgages on other places if you own your own place. So there are loads of advantages. I'm not pretending they're not, but I think it does. You said the two words. It's freedom versus or flexibility versus security. And you can like run the numbers however you want to, and you can play with spreadsheets all day and argue it this way and that way. But that's what it comes down to. When it's your own home, it's the, the emotion that matters more than anything else. And I'd say the majority of people come down on the side of wanting security, and that's fine. But for me, it's not, and so I'd make a different decision. Yeah, one of the, the quotes that I love is, um, 
the rent is the most you'll ever pay, the mortgage is the least. Mm. As in, with rent, you know the cost. It's a fixed cost to, to a degree. With yeah. a mortgage, that's the ba- the minimum you'll ever pay and everything else on top because of variable costs. Especially like in London, if you're paying the stamp duty and like for first-time buyers, it's reduced and all the rest of it. But like the fixed costs and the transaction costs are so high. If you're only going to be somewhere a few years, and I've got so many friends who like moved into their own place for a few years and they met someone or they had a kid or something happened. And then suddenly it's like, well, they want to move again. And you so it's 20, like, 30, 40 grand in dead money every so, time. Yeah. So you need to be somewhere for at least five years, more like 10, I reckon, for it to make sense. And you don't necessarily want to be making that commitment to one place at a certain stage in your life. But I'm aware that renting is crap in the UK. So like there is a significant push factor because like, well, if you could if you could rent and it was great and you had more security and all the rest of it, more people make that choice. But so many people have had bad rental experiences. You basically go, well, that's terrible. Anything's better than this. So I'm going to try and buy somewhere. So you've got a mortgage and you also rent, but you live in your rented house, um, rent to rent a property. Did you get your mortgage first and then rent or did you do the other way around? Yes. So getting, getting a buy to let mortgage to buy as an investment without owning your own home, it's tricky. I think it's possible. There are some lenders who do it, but it's hard. Um, so I, I did own a place and then I sort of got up to a certain point with my investing at then. Um, and so now it's like, it's not an issue, but, um, if you were just starting out, it is hard to go and get a buy to let mortgage without having a residential mortgage first. Yeah. Okay. But I do think that the narrative of a home has offers security or a mortgage mm. has been flipped on its head. And now people are probably looking at them going, there's absolutely no security in this home. And mm. actually it's becoming the thing that's sinking this house. Yeah. You know, the the financially anyway. Yeah. Well, it's like, it sends, people don't like it, but I sort of talk about owning, like paying dead money to, like paying rent to a landlord or renting money from a bank. And it's yeah. just like, in the early years of your mortgage, it's the same thing. It's like, you don't, you're not building up your ownership in the way that you think you are. Yeah. So let's talk about mortgages then and and this uh, and what's been going on recently. Mm. I know you're an investor, but we'd still like to hear your thoughts on this if yeah, that's okay. The hard fact is about 100,000 people a month are coming off fixed rates, mm. which means they're entering a position of, in a lot of cases, the, the, the amount they pay is doubling because mm. they're going from say 2% to six, seven, whatever the current rate is at the moment. Um, what advice do you have for people in that position facing that that change in financial circumstances? As you know, there's not an easy answer no. because I think there's been times, a couple of times over the last year when the mortgage market has just like gone crazy. Like, like the, there's been an event famously the mini budget, but then we saw another one in like what, June or something where there was a certain inflation surprise. Yeah. And so suddenly mortgage rates spike temporarily, products get pulled, they don't, they come back slowly. And it's like, at that time, it's just like, well, if you can just hold off like a couple of months, then things are going to get better than they are. Now we're at a point where it's like, things might get big, rates will come down probably somewhat from where they are, but they're not, if you, if you borrowed it too, and now you're getting quoted six, it might come down to five, might come down to four. It's not going to go back to two again. No. So people are going to be paying a lot more than they were. And there's not really much of a way around that. What timelines do you, do you foresee around the rates coming down? You can't ask, you can't ask that question. I was just about to say, <laughs> this had, is not financial advice, no yeah. one make any decisions he's based on this. He's sleep and putting them right on the spot. <laughs> I've tried, pre- tried predicting interest rates before, it doesn't go yeah. well, but I, I, I'd say my guess, and it is a guess, it's not a forecast, it's a guess. This is, is a Write it down, everyone, put it in bold. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think the most likely is that rates will drift downwards over the next year, 
Uh, somewhat, but not, not, well, we're not going, I think you need to realize we've moved from one world into another. And that world was not normal, you know, it was not normal. zero rates. I think the long-term average is much more closer to four or 5% yeah. than it is zero, obviously. Yeah. It felt normal because we had it for 14 years. And yeah. so a lot of people growing up not knowing any different, but it wasn't normal. It would have been better, I believe, if we'd like gradually increased rates over that period of time, rather than suddenly going snap from zero to five or whatever. But that's the way it is. And so the only way it's going back is if something goes really wrong. Yeah. So like if, it, if the economy collapses again, then, may, then rates will come down. But otherwise, like this is back to normal now. So like you're, you're looking at rates, call it in the four to six band rather than the two to three band or whatever we had in the past. Yeah. And it's a bit of pill to swallow, isn't it? That, that this is the way it is. So should people leading up to that be trying to overpay their mortgages or you know is there any solutions beyond just swallow the payment well i think what people will probably end up doing is extending uh, the, the terms if you come to remortgage like the you'll know the stats probably better than i do but like the proportion of terms of over 35 years has mm. absolutely exploded over mm. the last year because that's how you make it affordable so i think if you're in a position to when you come to refinance, extending is one way of spreading it out, which obviously means you end up paying more interest over the long run and it means you've got your mortgage for longer, but it does make your payments more affordable than they would otherwise have been. Can you remortgage at any time? Not always. We'll normally take out a fixed rate for some period. And then, and again, normally within that fixed rate, there'll be some kind of early redemption penalty. So if you take out a five-year fixed rate and you really want to switch the next day, you can, but they're going to charge you, call it 5% of the loan or something, so no one does it. Yeah. Um, so for most people, like windows of opportunity come up every so often. Yeah. As someone who's, I know that you're very um, aware of inflation and the impacts in terms of real terms. How do you view extending a mortgage by five, 10 years, you know, in a normal inflationary environment of say mm. two to 3%, even though you're paying more interest, it's going on for longer. Actually, that might be a good thing. Yeah, I think it's it's really easy to make that argument if you're as as an investor. So if it's a buy to let, you go, well, my mortgage is being paid by the, the rent's covering it anyway. The, the real value of my debt is dropping over time. So just like, let it run, it's, it's all good. But I think for your own home, like, it's a slightly different argument. And also, again, it comes about so many people just want to be mortgage free. Yeah. That's their aspiration. So going like, oh, well, now that's another 10 years further away. That even if like, it might make all the financial sense in the world, but it still doesn't feel good. Yeah. And I think people need to look at their finances today and go, if I can't afford the payment, then that's an option, mm -hmm. you know, rather than going, well, well, I wanted to be mortgage free at this date and mm -hmm. this date, you know, you sort today's financial issue out and, hopefully over time your income will grow and you can pay more down. Yeah. How much difference to a payment would you say that it would make? I know, again, it's going to be really hard, but... It, it, it is really hard. But so like I said, in the early years of a mortgage, you're not paying off much of the capital. It's low. The way it works is it's loaded. So you're paying more interest at the start and you're gradually paying off more of the capital over time. So if you can make a, if you can make a capital contribution, it will make it. It will make a difference. You're you're paying a, you're paying off a chunk, that'll help. But how much? I don't know. You need to like, either use a calculator or ideally work with a broker to to figure out. Like, say you've got five grand or something. Does it make more sense to put that towards the mortgage or invest it in someone else or somewhere else or keep it in cash or whatever? Yeah. And then what about the buy to let space? You know, how are you seeing landlords approaching the same thing? Because then the papers would have you believe that everyone's just dumping their properties mm. on, you know, are you seeing much? 
concern? Concern, definitely. Um, it's, I think for, for both for both groups, like this is a huge shift. I don't know if anyone's quite got their heads around what a, a massive change this is, like going from a free money, zero interest rate world back to something normal, like within like a year, 18 yeah. months, like not just happening gradually. It's like, this, that's, it's a big. And so the positive side of that is that it's probably not, it's not going to happen again. Probably, like you're not going to do. It's like you're not suddenly going to see rates double from here again. So it's like, so over, over like in a few years' time, everyone would have adapted to it one way or another. Every everyone's expectations and payments and everything else would have readjusted, and that shock isn't going to repeat itself. But everyone's just feeling their way through this period. And for from an investor's point of view, I think we, because of what we do and our audience, we tend to encounter people who are earlier on, who were younger, who are approaching it in a fairly professional kind of way as investors. And so they go like, yeah, okay, this is not what I would have wanted to happen, but at least you could say, well, it's happened. When rates, when you're borrowing at one and a half percent, you knew at some point they were going to go up. And it's just like, well, now it's happened. So you've, de you've dealt with it. And over the long term, they still feel positive about property. What you see though um, reported in the press is that a lot of landlords who've been in the game for say 20 years, they've had a massive capital gain over that time. They've seen everything getting a bit harder. There's more legislation coming in every year. They're getting a bit older. Suddenly they can get 5% in the bank. So, oh, this seems like a pretty good time to get out. So you're seeing, a, you, you are seeing more landlords selling than buying. But like we, we kind of encounter the people who are still enthusiastic about it for the long term. But then you've probably got more people on balance who are at the other side of that. Plus you've got accidental landlords as well. Whereas like if you've just inherited a property or you used to own a home and you moved out or something, because you didn't sign up for this whole journey, again, it's more likely to go, Yeah, that's that's this seems like time to get out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's um it's all, in a way, it's nice to kind of cut your teeth in a hard market mm. because when it when the wind blows the other way, like you're you're well placed. Yeah. You know, I I started my YouTube channel in 2020 and that was, it was like shelling peas for finance channels essentially. And a lot of the competition then died when the market got tough yeah. because they, they didn't, they just thought that was normal, if that makes sense. Totally. And I guess, you know, everyone would like one free debt, but if you can find properties that stack up at five to 7%, they're definitely going to stack up at four, three or whatever the other way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So. I want to now put you on the spot again and look at uh, look at the hat trick. Yeah, where the, where the market's good. Whether you get a property expert on and people just want to know what should I do with my mortgage? Should I lock it in? Should I do this? The standard variable rates are obviously one option. Mm -hmm. how, how should people navigate navigate those? Then the, where's they're coming off, and then we'll move on to your general thoughts on the market instead. Yeah, I mean, I think like I say, there've been a couple of times uh, over the last year where it's just like. If you can wait, it's better yeah. to wait because this is like a like a crunch point. You just have mm. to wait and wait for things to settle down. But now it's just like, well, what are we waiting for at this point? Uh, rates aren't going to, it's not like, oh, this is a bad dream and rates are going to come back down to right. where they were before. So it's like, you can go on to standard variable for a bit if you're just, but if you just want to wait and see, but then again, like, what are you waiting to see? Like, if we, if we think that rates are going, let's say you agree that rates are going to drift down a bit over the next period of time, well, that's already going to be, that expectation is going to be priced into the fixed yeah. rates anyway. So if you're waiting, then it's like, you think you know something about the future path of interest rates that the markets don't know. 
And you might, because markets get it wrong. It's all just been, been wrong plenty of times over the last year. But it's like, how, how confident are you? I think most people, especially for their own homes, just want security. Knowing what you're paying each month is is part of the it's the core thing, isn't it? Mm. You know, it might not be it might be a lot higher, but at least you know and there's certainty. It's a fixed payment rather than a variable one. Yeah, and people aren't going to want to like take out a fix or a, like sort of call it five percent now and then suddenly rates drop to four and it's like oh, I knew it. But it's yeah. like, but it could easily go the other way, and you just you just don't know. I th- I don't think you can. For your home, I don't think you can approach it that way where you just kind of try and plain chicken with rates. As an investor, you could just be, if you've got the cash buffer or whatever, you could just sit on a variable forever. So I want to move now then. We've we've, we've tried to answer the impossible questions around mortgages. And next one, we'll answer the impossible questions around buying a home. I thought it was going to get easier. <laughs> no, strap in, mate. Uh, yeah, it will get easier. Towards the end, we're going to talk about investing and you can, okay. you know, we can go there. Again, it's the questions that people want to know. If I step outside my front door at the minute, there's five houses on my street for sale mm. and it, that that's never happened before. And they're, they're all there. And I'm, I'm looking at them thinking, God, I wouldn't want to be you guys because you're all just competing against each other, basically. Yeah. That says to me, well, well, I should probably wait, you know, to buy, say, mm. because clearly something's happening. What, what does a professional think about the market at the minute and the direction it's heading in? Again, my guess, not forecast, yeah. is that we're probably going to see prices drift down a bit for some period of time. And so, and the reason for that is normally when when you have a big correction in interest rates like we've seen, logically property value should correct downwards because the cost of financing is such an important variable in that. But at the same time, people anchor to their price and they will not want to sell their home for less than it was worth last year unless they have to. So you get most people just sitting it out if they can. And you've got lots of homes that are owned mortgage-free. You've got- um, So like one third of the stock. There's only one third of the stock that actually has a mortgage on it. Yeah, is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so so they so they don't have to sell. Everyone else is just got is just gonna sort of sit and wait and see. At the same time, from from an investor's point of view, rents are going up, which helps. Um, and you tend not to get like unless you get like major job losses that's going to force people's hands, you tend not to get a collapse. So I don't. I think it's less likely you're going to have a sudden collapse rather than you just have prices drift drift down a little bit. In real terms, of course, after accounting for inflation, they're already coming down quite a lot faster than that because inflation's been really high, even if property prices just stay still. So relative to relative to earnings, relative to the value of the pound and everything, they're actually fall, they've actually fallen quite a lot already. So if they just drift down for another eighteen months, that's quite a big correction. I lo- I love that video you did, and we spoke about it at the time mm. because I, I saw in the comments people just didn't agree with you. And nominal prices, as in the on paper value, is important because that's what you borrow against. That's you know what you bid for. That's how much your deposit is. But the inflation point is really important. And just to clarify, so people get the point. If you've got 300,000 pounds sat in a bank account and inflation is 10%, you're losing 30 grand a year in spending power. It's the exact same for a home because the home is essentially a savings account, isn't yeah. it? You know, if you've got 300,000 pounds worth of equity or value in the home, if inflation is 10% and the price stays the same, mm-hmm. you've lost 30 grand in spending yeah. power there. So you're basically saying, add that real impact, the inflation adjusted impact plus the nominal, and you might actually have a 30% crash in real terms yeah. already. That's like a professional opinion on it. Do you think the average like 
investor or home buyer is thinking like that or they're thinking no. No. it's a buyer's market or they're thinking it's a think seller's market. I don't think you're the only person in the, in the country that's <laughs> making a video on it. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It just seems obvious to me because of the way because the way we think about it. But then that doesn't mean like that no one else is thinking about it. Your, your, your homeowner isn't thinking about, about it that way. Um, and it is still... A, a buyer's market. You still wouldn't want to be selling your house in this market mm. regardless because, like, again, the only people who are selling now are because they have to. Yeah, so when he says he's got five houses on his street, mm. I'd be like, oh, great, I can go to all of them, make an offer, and then kind of pitch them against each other to try and get the best deal. Yeah. So, like, for the average person, is now a good time to buy? Or do you think next year, 18 months online would be a bit better? I, again, coming back to the point about your own home, I don't think it's wise to try and predict the market when it comes to like, if you want to buy a home, you don't want to buy just any home. You want to buy the one that you want to live in for yeah. at least 10 years. So if that home becomes available and you can afford it and the price is okay and everything else, why would you just say, oh, I'll see if that's still on the market in a year's <laughs> time, just in case. It's like, I know people do think about their homes as a financial instrument because it is a big investment and all the rest of it but it's also where you live and so i was like it's it's good news if, if you are if you wanted to buy anyway it's good news that suddenly a load of your competition has disappeared so that's great. it's better time to buy now than it was 12 months absolutely. ago absolutely yeah. yeah. and it might be better in 12 months but the, right now is better than it was 12 exactly months ago, so, that's all yeah. that so 12 months so ago people it. are looking for a house and then they go and view it and it'll be gone absolutely. like already straight away isn't yeah. it crazy that in that that there's that trend in lockdown of like mania um you know full and final before you've even viewed it yeah, yeah. and people are happy to buy but now the market's a bit like this they're like oh I don't know if I should <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like you're buying it when it's going up but it's the same with the stock market people are happy it's to buy when the they're going up but yeah. when it's dropping they're not and it's the same with with selling like with like, there's lots of investors now who want to who like ah like, oh, I wish I'd sold it last year but then last year they wouldn't have sold because the market was going up so why mm. would you sell but then now the market's going down so they're not going to sell <laughs> so it's like, well you're never going to sell are you yeah and calling tops and bottoms in anything is is almost impossible. It's like, mm. are you happy with the price, both on exit or on entry? Yeah. And can I afford it if I'm if I'm going into it? That's uh, why when we talk about investing, we all oh, we're always talking about the long term. Always, always, always. Because over the long term, most stuff sorts itself out. Like, will property prices be higher or lower in 20 years than they are today? They're pretty likely higher. to be higher because of inflation. Like, even if there's nothing else because of inflation. Um, what are they going to be in two years? No, no idea. So, and so, so for homeowners, it's the same thing, right? Because if you're going to be living somewhere for at least 10 years, which you kind of need to for make all the costs associated with it work out, is it, if you, is it like a few grand difference? It might feel like a lot today, but it's not going to make that much difference in 10 years' This time. is it. So, you know, prices drop 10%. Oh, I could have saved 3K on a deposit yeah. or whatever. <laughs> on, you know, that does, won't mean much in mm. 30 years when the house prices have doubled again. And you'll yeah. be like, I'm so glad I bought it then. That's it. When I sold investment properties in in um, Manchester and I was part of that boom and there was lots of serious, like Arab funds and stuff coming in and, and buying, all of the really serious investors all just said, I just wish I'd bought as much as I could in the past. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. were like, I, I dilly-dallied on stuff and whatever. I was like, I just wish I'd bought more, yeah. you know, than I did, did then than I do now because it all would have gone up by yeah. ridiculous amounts. Definitely. It's really easy to sit around being blasé about it here because like, it's all an emotional thing. And so it's really hard to actually do it. But I think the cold reality of it is that, yeah. I was going to buy um, an in investment property in, in my area just before first lockdown. And the, mar the market was pretty manic, but it fit my needs. It was a two bed. It was going to be serviced accommodation. 
I went round it and the second bedroom was just a bit small and then it was just racked my brain. And when, when COVID hit, I was like, cancel it. <laughs> I then stuck the money in the market the whole lot, like hmm. bought, bought like, you know, a few shares and made 40% in a few months because of that to me made sense. Mm. But property, I was so apprehensive because I was like, oh, what if people don't like it because there's only like this much either side of the double bed. Whereas looking back now, I would have made a killing if I'd have bought that at that time, you know? Mm. That's interesting though, because I think a lot, I've got this theory that like people are almost like either shares people or property people. There's like, either they can't take the, they can't take the uncertainty of the stock market. You can see the price every day, or they can't take the fact that with the property, it's so illiquid and you're so locked in and everything else. But you seem like unusually comfortable with both, including yeah. the volatility it's, of it's, both. It's just portfolio. It's just an overall portfolio and assets to work and diversification is how mm. I see it. So, I, you know, I have, I don't, it's why I buy cryptocurrency. Do, do I think that I don't believe the hype, but what I believe is that I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's good to have an allocation, irons in the fire, mm. uh, schmuck insurance almost. Yeah, you know? schmuck insurance. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, and with property, I recognize that it has a unique benefit of of leverage mm -hmm. that I don't get with it. I, I don't get within my ISA and my tax advantaged accounts and, yep. and I can't replicate that. So that's that's why it's attractive to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm i not, that's what I said about you. I like you and you, the reason you're here is because you're not like a maximalist, if that's the right word. Mm. You're not like property's the only thing and everything else is a scam. Yeah. You view it as like this whole picture of just, it's just another asset. It's the one I picked. It's the horse I rode in on and yeah. here I am today. That's it. It's very easy to, but when people have had success in something to go, I was successful with this, therefore everyone else will be yeah. as well, even if it's a different time and everyone's yeah. situation is different. Yeah. But no, reality is like, if you if you own anything sensible for a long enough period of time, it's going to be all right. Yeah. It doesn't kind of, doesn't really matter what it is. Yeah, they're all they're all just mm. assets as such. Yeah. Crypto might not be sensible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. We won't be the schmucks. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that that's always how I, I viewed it. And I've, I've liked it. I mean, I grew up on Cerebini and the mm. house doctor and things like that. And I I think we're a whole generation that have just like become enamored with property yeah. and that that from that from those shows totally yeah and that's what i think is quite good about property it's almost like a gateway investment it's like mm. everyone feels comfortable with it it's easy to understand it's far less intimidating i think than stock market investments or other investments for people do you need a lot more capital though oh yeah totally no, that, just that little barrier of entry first yeah, yeah, for some people I, but maybe because i came at it the other way but i think it's well more intimidating because of how illiquid it is yeah me too because you, know, you tell me like my friend bought a house in south like past southeast london somewhere held it for about eight years and he's just recently sold it and now he's renting in uh, Putney. Mm. But like um, for him, it was like a big deal buying it. But then once he had, he's like, I'm so broke. I can't go out for drinks. Oh. I could, like, he used to be buying all the drinks, partying. Now he's like, then he was like, look, I've got my mortgage. You guys come to my house, we'll drink at my house. So like he stopped going out and now he's in Putney. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm liquid again after eight years. So yeah. it does tie up a lot of your capital for mm. like quite a while. Yeah, yeah sure. the one benefit of my, say my ISA is like in my phone, I have like the ability to just exit that at any point, withdraw it tax-free mm -hmm. and you know, anywhere in the world. Yeah. Whereas with a property, I can't do that, can I? It's a benefit. 
but it's also a danger yeah. Yeah. because you can do silly things. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the reasons that people have success in property is you can't do silly things. Yeah. Like if you want, if you go like, oh no, it's a disaster market's going to crash into sell. Well, then you need to do like, fill up all these forms, go and talk to an estate agent. <laughs> Six months later, you still need to be going, no, the market's going to crash. Most people are like, take it. You'll have that emotion for an afternoon. And they're like, that's been my downfall. I'm like, oh, let me sell this and buy this. And I'm like, why did I sell that and buy that? That was not, not the best decision yeah. but um, sometimes you get a nice timing like when the market crashed in, in um, COVID and I bought loads of airlines but other times I'm like oh I'll buy this crypto and then it crashes and I'm like I probably should just have on to left in the ISA yeah. so um, yeah it does have its benefits and flaws but everyone always goes all the property guys just go bricks and mortar mm. money and bricks and mortar is the safest thing yeah. so I do see a lot of property maximalists out there so are you are you not concerned about a crash let's say Let's say property prices drop 20 or 30% tomorrow, 30%. Does that worry you? Uh, that would not be good. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> um, like by, by that point, it's like, well, all your equity's gone at that point. Like, if it's, let's say you bought in the last couple of years, so you've only, so you've only borrowed seventy five percent. It's like, yeah, I mean, like the, the logic still holds. Like, if, if, if the market drops by that much, I can't see mortgage lenders calling in all the loans because which they might be entitled to do, but they're not going to because they don't want to own millions of properties. No. So it's like at that scale, it's just just like if you're the only one defaulting, then you've got a problem. But if everyone's defaulting, the bank's got a problem. Yeah. So so and so like, okay, well you know eventually over the years it will come back and you'll just and you just just ride it out. But you still don't want to actually go through that experience. If but if but if you know the air comes out a bit for a couple of years and so you have this sort of like this real terms correction that's i think that would be the best result for everyone because everyone talks about how unaffordable properties become etc cetera, etc cetera. so if it just like if it just quietly like becomes more affordable in the background relative to earnings without anyone really noticing that's probably for It'd the be best. quite a magic trick wouldn't it for prices to to normalize incomes to catch up for us not to really lose much nominally on paper yeah. and for actually then a load of buyers to be like oh i can get involved in this and off the prices go yeah, again then exactly. it'd, be, it'd be like the perfect crash in a way absolutely yeah can you guess what the biggest learning has been from doing this podcast or even my youtube channel it's that the most important investment you can make is in you so for me my path to real wealth isn't through investing it's by building this business and that's why I'm happy that we're working with Hostinger. Hostinger help entrepreneurs, freelancers, and side hustlers with their websites. My favorite thing is their AI website builder, which helps anyone create a professional website with zero coding experience. You just describe your goal in a couple of sentences, and the AI creates a beautiful looking website, just like magic. You can then customize it, use the AI assistant to generate SEO friendly text, and even use their AI logo maker. It's fast, user-friendly, and of course, what I like the best is it's great value for money. You can get website hosting and a free domain from £2.99 a month. So if you want a website, then check out Hostinger. And if you use the code making money, that's making money all one word, you'll get 10% off. And I've left the link in the description for you. Before I became a creator, I was a sales guy. I mean, I love selling. It's how I rebuilt my life after some wrong turns in my 20s. I also delivered Chinese takeaways on the side, but that was more fun money so I could go out on a night without feeling guilty. Sales was where the real money was at. And one tool that I found really useful was LinkedIn Sales Navigator. It's a sales intelligence platform that helps you identify and then get into conversations with high value customers so you can drive more revenue. You can use it to look for key signals like recent job changes, so you can find buyers who are most likely to convert. 
And because they've got a billion people on the platform, I mean, the chances are your targets are going to be on LinkedIn. Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data so you can get into conversations with the people that matter. So if you want to give Sales Navigator a try, you can get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash upsell. That's linkedin.com slash U-P-S-E-L-L for a 60-day free trial. What we want to look at now is the investment piece. If I took it all off you today, so I want to hear a little bit about your journey and how you got into mm. it. If I took it all off you today, would you go the same way? Would you start with property? I would um, because... For me, it was a good gateway investment. It's something that I was able to get enthusiastic about. Like some some people get enthusiastic about index funds. I wasn't mm. one of them, and so but but it's like I I got I just sort of fell into property in that I sort of had the I had savings, I had the ability to invest in something. Property, is something that a lot of people in this country gravitate towards, and in the process of um, of doing that, I just found it really fascinating yeah. and just got so deep, loved it. and just got deeper and deeper into it. Um, and that would then that ended up opening me up to understanding a wider range of investments. What does your portfolio look like at the minute? So I started investing about 17 years ago, mm-hmm. started as like most people do, just because it seemed like a good idea, got a bit of money, what are you gonna do? Um, started buying like in London as close to where I lived as I could, because again, it's like the easiest thing to do. I know the area. Then as time went on, I started Getting well, two things happened. One is London suddenly got a lot more expensive. Like, as you'll remember, like it bounced back really quickly after two thousand and eight, and suddenly like this doesn't look like value anymore. The rest of the country looks like much better value. So I got more comfortable going out to other cities. But I've tried to, I've sort of tended to focus my portfolio on sort of like key cities. Like I like the East Midlands. I like Man- like Manchester in the northwest. So I try not to just buy absolutely all over the place. But in practice, I don't manage any of it myself. I used to manage the ones in London myself, but now I don't. So it doesn't really matter where it is. So when I when I started, I was just buying like one bedroom and flats in London because it was cheap and it was it was the easiest thing for me to do. Um, I like having a bit of a variety. People get very religious about houses versus flats. Like people people hate flats or like, like oh, no, house is too much hassle. I quite like having some of both. And recently I now I buy everything through my company because it's the easiest thing to do. Like we find investments for others. And so it's easiest to just kind of take my pick from what comes through. And it's not not all of that. A lot of that tends to be off plan. So like you do have to be careful when buying off plan. You like, so if you're going and doing it. It just means before it's built. Exactly. For people who don't know. Yes. I used to sell them. Yeah, mm. I worked for a company called Night Knox. Yeah, we did a lot of developments in Manchester. Mm. So, yeah. so you, so you, there are things we've done a video on it. There are things you have to be aware of if you're doing it yourself. But the, so now that tends to uh, that's where I get my property from. So some of them tend to be off plan, but I don't have strong opinions for it. Like you, prob- you don't. It's hard to get diversification in property because you're not going to own hundreds. And so, like I try to get what I can. Do you think it's worth it now, starting from nothing, property investment in today's market? Uh, over the long term, yes, I think so. But I'm aware that for for a lot of people, it's not an option. Like you said, the capital you need to get involved is so high. Like you probably to get into property investment today, you'd be looking at needing what at least thirty grand at least, and that's a lot. It's a lot. So for many many people, just aren't going to have that choice. But if you but if you did, it's like you just inherited a load of money, then I wouldn't say. Yeah, property's the only thing. It has to be that. But again, it's just like you've got this, you've got the advantage of being able to use leverage, which 
introduces risk, but also upside and say, go, yeah, over a long enough period of time, it works. But I do think you need to be, you need to be going into it seriously now in a way that you didn't when you could actually start 10 years ago. Yeah. So you mean do more research or? Yeah. I mean, a few things, I suppose. So like definitely, like definitely more research. Like I used to, it used to be like you know the dinner party landlord people talked about. Like, you, like people would like sort of see the house on the next street had come up for sale. They go, oh, I've got a bit of money. This seems like a good investment, and they'll go and buy it, and then they'll talk about it at dinner parties, and the property market's going up, and everyone's feeling really happy about themselves. You you used to be able to do that, but now because of the not just the amounts of money involved, the tax situation's got a lot more complicated. The legislation has got a lot more complicated. I think it's now less appealing to just go and buy a property like when you're not planning to take it seriously i think if you're going to be doing it you need to be you need to be approaching it in a professional manner even if you're not going to be doing it professionally and ideally you want to be i think building up having the idea that you could build up a portfolio of properties over time you might not be able to afford to go and buy multiple in the first year or two years but we'll get to that point because then there's it's worth going through all the aggro because if you're going to go and buy like rather than going and taking 50 grand and putting it into an index fund or a whole group of index funds or a whole group of different asset classes and so you're spreading your bets if you're taking that whole 50 grand and putting it into one asset you better be pretty sure it's going to be a good asset Mm. so you need to be able to to go and do the research you need to make sure that you are complying with the many 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 things you need to comply with even if you're using a letting agent you're still ultimately responsible so you need to know if they're doing what they're meant to be doing so there's a lot to it so I think it's like if you're just going going like casually it's a lot a lot less attractive but if you're going to be doing doing it to build a portfolio over time for the next 20 years potentially to pass on then it still makes sense so do you think it's viable now today for people to just own one or two investment properties i think it's viable i think it's less appealing than it used to be uh, because there is more hassle that comes along with it. You're kind of the tax situation forces you to make a decision at the start about whether you should buy individually or as a company. That in itself is a roadblock because you're just like, oh, I have to get this right, and I don't really know. And then once you're into it, there's a lot of legislation. And I think there's a difference between am I going to have one and that's it forever, or one but I reckon you know in another five years I can get another, then another five years I can get another. I, I think if it's going to be like one and that's it forever. I'd question whether all the effort that you have to put into research and everything else is going to be worth it. Would you Would you recommend anyone to, like for people just starting out first property, would you recommend they get any support, advice from anyone in particular? I think if you can, like there's so much free information out there now, which there wasn't when I got started, which is great. The danger is there's lots of free information going, oh, it's easy, just do this, um, yeah. buy my course, et cetera. Um, so I wouldn't pay for any um, any education mentorship anything else but like use all the free stuff that's great and if you can find someone who you know who's done it before then that's great and then also you're going to end up working with a solicitor probably working with a mortgage broker if you're using a mortgage i think you definitely should use a broker rather than trying to do it yourself um maybe you'd want to get the property managed to start with and just like so like use the knowledge of those people if you pick if you if you use what you've learned from the free stuff 
to then go out and find good people and pick the right people, then you can use their knowledge. And people are, professionals are quite happy to share what they've learned. What do you see as the benefit there of, of a portfolio? So one unit versus 10, what economies of scale or like what is, what is happening in that growth that means that you think you need to plan for 10 almost? I wouldn't say necessarily plan for 10, but I think it's like, it's it's making, it's getting a return on effort, I suppose. Mm. Like if you learn everything that you need to learn and it's just for one, then I don't know. Is, is, do you think that your return is going to be that much higher than from an investment where you could just press a few buttons and it's done? Possibly not. And then also if you do decide to buy it within a company rather than as an individual, because for some people that's a better tax position to be in, then there are costs that come with running that company. And so, and the cost, those costs are broadly the same whether you've got one or five. So it, it, there are some economies of scale, but it's mainly return on effort is the way I think about it. And maybe thinking about it from a professional perspective, like you say, if if I had five properties, I'd definitely have them in a limited company. So you need to maybe think about that structure from the get-go rather than just buying mm. another one in your personal name and then yeah. having issues tax-wise. Yeah, making like transferring from one to the other is expensive. It, yeah, it doesn't tend to work well, so you need to get it right. Because you're actually selling start. it to the business, basically. Exactly. So do you start with a limited company or you start as an individual and then when you get more than one, you form a limited company? This is where it's helpful to know where you're going because it's it's different for everyone. You, you can't, you, we've done videos on it that try to do rules of thumb, but you can't say like everyone should be doing this, everyone should be because doing that. Because of tax bans and yeah. But if you but if you go like okay, I think that one day I'll probably want to have four. Then if you can talk to your accountant about that and sort of like have that idea coming down the line, that might guide them one way rather than the other. I live in London. If I wanted to buy my first property, but I want to buy somewhere like Manchester, Newcastle, Durham, somewhere where it's going to be substantially cheaper. Yeah. Is that feasible? And if I want to buy it not to live in, uh -huh. is that complicated? And um, what do you think about it? So you'd be buying that as an investment? Yes. Do you, would you wouldn't already own your own home? I wouldn't own it, no. Okay. It's tricky. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's tricky. Um, because of it's it's much harder to get a mortgage if you don't have a residential mortgage already, um, which is going to be a pretty major factor. Like, but even if you said you weren't going to go, if, if you say you weren't going to use a mortgage, you went to buy it all, all in cash, then you could do it. Like in in that case, we like we have clients, and I hear from people all the time who go and buy properties in areas that they have never lived in there's not it's not there and they might live hundreds of miles away but they've gone through the research process and you'd have to do more research because like if you if you've grown up in a certain part of london then you'll already know what's the good areas what's the not so yeah. good areas i mean i have lived in up north i went to uni there manchester mm. durham so i've spent time up there i know the areas that i would yeah. be looking at so it's not completely random yeah so you, so you just you're, you're still starting from a place of some knowledge you yeah. just you just need to build that knowledge up how and can you do that is it pure numbers or are you like driving the streets and taking a look? Because it's, you never know places until you mm. live there, right? So uh, yeah, I think there's a few different layers to it. So you can like, you could start by just like messing around on right move and kind of getting a feel for like, well, you know, if uh, you could just all look at it on a map and go, oh, well, it's more expensive here than here. Why is that? And start to build up a picture. There's tools you can use to kind of look into the like the demographics of an area and, and stuff like that. Um, going on Street View tells you a lot. Um, and then, but then eventually, like that can give you a pretty good grounding. 
um, uh, online communities. Like if you put Alaria plus Reddit, that you'll often find find stuff about it. Um, but then there comes a point where I think it's sensible to go there of and just spend as much time. Get the vibe. Get the vibe. Meet meet local agents. Um, letting agents, I always think, are a good source of info because like um, estate agents are always like, on the battle positive. They're normally trying to sell you something. But I've in the past gone to letting agents and said, I'm looking to buy something. If I find something, then I'll let it out through you. It's really hard for them to get new business, and so often they'll be willing to help. Okay. Um, so you can just you, you just have to go through that process. You can start online. It normally ends um, like by going and doing it in person. And How you qualify in an area prior to Street View and like getting into the area itself? How are you going? Okay, Derby, Nottingham, mm. two places I've heard you mentioned Manchester five ten years ago. You know mm. how, how are people? So I think there's a couple of different factors. A part, partly it is just like you, there are plenty of perfectly good places to invest. There's always going to be random reasons why you go for one one or another. Like if it's easy to get to on, a, on the train and another place is really hard, you're probably going to go to the easy place. So you're not going to truly have the choice of the whole country. But then within certain areas, I'm sort of looking for things like you can go on... Um, or like home track which is a, a website where you can sort of like they compare different cities you can see how fast cities are growing like how what they've done over time you can look at like what they're like what yields you're getting so like obviously the return you're making on investment in london is super low at the moment mm. um you don't necessarily want to be going to the place where they're the absolute highest because that can often not be a good sign either but if you can find somewhere where it's just like this is like this is a quality investment. It's a growing area. There's investment going in. It all you can see, you can see why this area is is good now. It's going to get better. There'll be plenty of the, my choice of tenants to who, who I can rent to, um, and you can go and buy something that's quality and make a reasonable return on it. Then that's the kind of area I'd be looking at. Define quality. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's um, quality. Just like. Everyone's going to have their own ideas. Not a bad, not a bad idea to think like, well, who would I want to rent this property to? And so, like, well, is this the type of property where a a working family is going to is going to come in and go like, wow, this is great. It's a nice place. It's got something ideally something unique compared to other places around it. Because if you're just like com com competing with everything else, then that's not so good. Like so, a bigger garden, two yeah. parking space on the drive, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Some, so some, something that something that elevates it. Or if you're buying in a development, like is it the like we. There's a place in Derby that um, where, uh, my co-host and I both invested in because, like, the nature of it is like it's the best investment in it's the best development in the best location, and because of the planning laws around there, nothing else is going to get built around there. So feeling good about it. In your experience, what have been like the best types of tenants for your your portfolio? Hmm. Um, it's really it's you say so you can you can definitely generalize. But then you're never going to quite. You kind of have to to filter down there, right? Yeah, you, you do. You, in every example, there's going to be someone on benefits that's a great tenant. There's going to be someone who's a bad. There's yeah. going to be families that ruin homes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Stud students that put holes in the walls and students that are yeah. like nice and tidy. Unfortunately, and they, they never yeah. have any drama. Yeah. As investors, we kind of have to make sweeping that's you know, statements yeah. about types of people to, to narrow it down, don't yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. I'm always conscious about doing it because it's it's not fair. But no. as a gen as a general point, like I've tried I've tried to get away from renting to students, but for partially because of the that they tend don't always take the best care of places, of but also because they'll tend to only stay for a year or two max, and so you get more turnover. And like, obviously, it's more work for you. Yeah, exactly. So you want you want tenants to be staying as long as you possibly can, and so all else being equal, a family is going to stay somewhere longer than um, 
um, than, than students are. Um, if you've got a, if you if you rent a flat to a couple who are together, they're more likely to stay there for longer than two people sharing because that means that's two people who could go and get a boyfriend yeah. or whatever, and they and they're, they're moving on. This is all just general, and so. Those are the sort of things I that I look at. I like to, where possible, just try try to look for who's who has. There's obviously no there's no warning signs, and they've got at least the potential to stay there for a long time. It tends to go with properties. I don't know why. Some I will forget I own, and it's amazing. <laughs> Others I'm hearing about all the time. If I know the postcode, that's a really bad sign. <laughs> um, and it just you get issues. I don't know why. You can't. You can try to. You, you can't can, predict. You can now. You look back. You couldn't predict. Oh, this one. I should have known he would have been a headache. Or like I shouldn't known. It's all just random. Yeah, you could. You could do your best. So like, if you if you go and buy like the absolute cheapest house in the cheapest area, you're probably going to have it. You're more likely to have issues than if you want to went and bought something luxury. But even if you went and bought everything luxury, you're going to have one or two of them that are a nightmare, and you don't know why. Yeah, I mean, you could have a footballer who trashes the place, couldn't you? Yeah. Mm. I mean, at university, the boys above me played cricket in their flat <laughs> and just literally the whole place was, bat- like all the plasterboard was destroyed because it was all plasterboard. They were just smashing a cricket ball. Down the- yeah, so <laughs> they used to set fire to our uni halls. They used to like put all sorts of things under each other's bedroom doors and just set fire to it. Like, yeah. yeah I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be renting to students. <laughs> Based on what we were like. Yeah, well, yeah actually, definitely yeah. wouldn't be renting to students. And then types of property. So thank you for the, the question on the tenant. The types of property in proximity, are you thinking like I want city center I want the burbs I want you know like have you got again everything can work and we get we get mm. those caveats but just from you like what do yeah, you think my personal thing is I I like city centers I think that could just be personal bias because I like city centers myself um, but you're always going to have lots of tenant demand in those places you like the, the city center was written off it was supposedly dead but absolutely mm. not it's they're back commuter location like strong commuter location on a tram line on a tram line tube exactly like that. yeah so so if you're looking at the, the tram in Manchester Nottingham somewhere like that again where you're going to get people who've got it's, it's just call it fundamentals as a shorthand like all the kind of stuff that people are going to want to live like if you if you're going out of somewhere super rural it's you're, you're just not going to have the demand there you're, you're not what what you really want is you want to put a place up for rent and be deluged with applicants yeah. straight away and then you can take your pick and are you still actively buying at the moment i bought a couple this year um, okay. And I would keep on doing so. It's like I've not. It's like I've got no aspiration to like have a gigantic portfolio. Property mogul. Yeah, it's just like because every every property brings incremental hassle, and so like. So you find a little bit more stress every time you get a new property. Yeah, well, I've got sort of the sort of systems in place to deal with it, and so I don't personally get get involved anymore. But still, it's just like it's just. It's just headspace, and the, like, I tell this story. Like, I, I literally know someone who ended up owning two hundred properties, like back in the days when you could like do it with like no money left in or whatever. And and then he went bankrupt. I was like, but why? Yeah. Why did you get up to two hundred? It's like, oh well, geez, you know, I just didn't really have a why target. Stop? I just, yeah. I, just I, did, I could, and so I kept on doing it. <laughs> well, there's that the, that couple that you know the biggest landlord, yeah. one hundred and seventy million pound portfolio or something stupid. Yeah, they owned like half a half a town, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. So. I want to talk about your system. What what does that look like? So the ultimate secret is having a PA. Okay. So having someone to deal with it because because this is, and this is where economies of scale virtual come in. Virtual, yeah. So even if you're working with letting agents who are managing everything for you, there's still going to be some kind of involvement need, needed from you because they have a tendency to 
come to you and say, this happened, what do you think I should do about it? I'm like, well, I'm paying you to do that, but all right. Um, and, but then there's always going to be something, there's always mortgage applications, there's always there's always something going on. So having a so having a PA to just like sub mine, some of them she manages directly, some of them she like is the point of contact for agents. And that just means that everything that she can deal with, she does deal with it. I'll get a piece of piece of paper in the post, I'll scan it in, it'll go into a folder, she'll deal with it. So it just I only end up doing um like I track my time for a while as an experiment to sort of see how much time I spend. Like, can I really say an hour? Um and I could and it turned out the only things I was doing was making bank transfers and signing stuff. That was basically it. Yeah. So that's that's like an extreme version of it. How long have you had a PA for? Uh, about 18 months. Oh, so you did the first like 16 years, 15 years. Yeah. Just- and it got to a point where it's like, because I, so I was using agents and it's just got, got to a point where it's just like, this is still, this is, I don't know if things are being done properly. I'm assuming that unless I'm hearing about something, it's okay, yeah. but I don't really know. And so I just wanted to like, no, I want things done properly and I don't want my time being taken out. Is that a UK based or international? She's uh, in the UK. So okay. you can you can definitely do it internationally, mm-hmm. but I wanted someone who's who had experience doing this kind of thing before. She's, same time, she's mani- same well. time managed portfolios before. So she's got, so got the confidence oh, really? to, to, deal, to, to deal with agents. But if you're, if you're not at that, like you don't have to get someone like that. If you just had someone, I don't know, you could have someone offshore, pay them a lot less and get them to do some of the research for you to, I don't know, filter your emails for you. Yeah. But there's, there's always going to be a level. I mean, you don't have to go all the way to the end. Do you have anything else in place or is it all the PA really? So that's that's the that's the real secret. But then there's there's other things you can do at a smaller level property wise. So like if you it's just like basic stuff like have you've got a, if you've got a separate bank account set up, you can you can use like online bookkeeping software and like my PA goes and reconciles everything, but you could just do it yourself. But if you're using software, it's much quicker. You could give give um if picking if you're not going to be managing it yourself. Picking the right agent is really important. I have no idea how you do that. Because I used to work with some terrible agents yeah. that, that looked like they were good on face value. Yeah. The general rule of thumb that doesn't always work is like like local specialists are better than the chains. And if you've got a local, if you've got someone- Like a, like a one-man band like that. Like a boutique. Yeah. So like, let's say you've, you've got someone who started, but maybe they started investing themselves 20 years ago. They got up to 20, 30 properties themselves. They they put all the systems in place for themselves. Then they started taking on other people's. And then maybe now they've got one or two people working for them. So they know the area backwards. They they just they they do they do everything properly. It's it's not it's not fail safe. But if you can get someone like that, rather than whoever like puts a leaflet through your door saying, "Oh, I've got tenants waiting," and all it's like a national it. company or yeah. Do you invest in the stock market? Or mm. Do you buy index funds or yeah yeah? How do you think about um, overexposure to property? It's a tough one. I think there's something to be said for investing in something that you understand. Yeah. Um, and you can't be an expert in everything. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, there is there is. You can think about having like a concentration risk. But then, as we've seen in recent crashes, like everything tends to be pretty correlated yeah, when pretty things crashy. when things go wrong. Yeah. So I don't know. I wouldn't be overly bothered. I think I think more comes down to tax wrappers. Like if you there's there's an argument for using your rice for making pension contributions or this kind of thing, which obviously you can't do with property. So that might be, uh, if, if someone's just piling everything into property and ignoring those tax wrappers, you might want to have a conversation from that angle rather than going like, 
you know, you're only in property, therefore you're really exposed to one asset class, which you are, but yeah. You can't be overexposed on knowledge though, can you? Like you say, if you if you know it inside out, like, you know, it makes no sense for Tiger Woods to go play tennis because mm -hmm. he's overexposed to golf. So how long have you been investing in uh, the stock market? I can't do maths today. So You can't count backwards. No. <laughs> no, so hang on. So if I, start, if I started around about 2012, I started getting more interested in the stock market, like read, reading some books and like trying to pick individual shares. My, my first few went really well, which is annoying because it kind of gave me the idea that I was good at oh, it. Yeah. Later on, it turned out it wasn't. Um, but then, and then, yeah, just like as time's gone on, it's just like, I've just kind of you know, come to realize that just index funds is the way to go. I think people have wrapped their head around the fact that index funds aren't a get-rich-quick scheme. Mm. I'm not sure that people have done that with property yet. No, completely agree. And I know that you like have that conversation a lot. Um, you know, how how would you frame property and to people as an investment in terms? Because I think there's a lot of people think, oh, I'll flip a house, make a hundred grand. Mm. As it's just property. It's hard to think of anything like less suited to be a get rich quick scheme because you need to be rich to start with. Like yeah. you need so much money. <laughs> so, so like, yeah, you see people sort of like pitching all kinds of different ways. Oh, no, don't worry. You can just go and rent someone else's property and then rent it to someone else. Oh, yeah. maybe you can sort of. Uh, they haven't seen all these adverts on YouTube. You, yeah. don't, you don't need a deposit for your house. Yeah. You can just do this and do that and Airbnb and rent someone else's house and all sorts of things. Yeah. To finish this off, we'd just like to ask really, what are your key takeaways or lessons that you've learned from the last 17 years of in investing in property? I think we touched on it earlier, but like property is a long-term investment. And that's something that I didn't think about it going in. I wasn't I wasn't going in it trying to get, get rich quick, but I just didn't really think about it. But now it's like there's it's just it's just so obviously suited to compounding wealth. I've said in the past like property is a terrible way to make money. Like, like trying to make money in property, it's so hard. You need so much money to get started, and it's like if you're if you're flipping, there's so much risk, there's so much to learn. It's just like it's really ill suited to making money, and you'll get people pushing that it as an angle because a lot of people like making money quickly, a lot of people like property, yeah. but it doesn't really work as a but as something over as over the over the long term, it's great, and even just from doing it as long as I have, which isn't like crazy long, I've seen such a benefit from like you know, rents gradually going up, mortgage values being eroded. And it's like, it's not, it's not meant to be exciting. And if it is exciting, then it's normally the wrong type of exciting. So like, I, I love it when nothing happens for months on end. Like, so I, I definitely, there's nothing wrong with getting into property because you love property and you kind of find it enjoyable because you, you need to, to be motivated to go through all the stuff to start with. But then I, I think it's best suited for something to have in the, going on in the background rather than sort of going in there and like trying to make it your primary thing. A lot of people go, I wish I could quit my job and go full-time into property. It's like, it's just, how do you do that? It's so hard to do. Do you make more money from your businesses then than you would say from the, because I think, you know, people call you a property investment. You're a property businessman really, aren't you? Yeah, I've like, I am, I am a property investor because I invest in property, but I don't identify, I don't identify with that. Like it's not, it's not how I think of myself. It's like I've been in property, like I've been talking about property for 10 years. I love talking about it, but, I love, but even that's not just property. It's like I love talking about investment. I love talking about like, making positive changes in your life over time. Systems like, and yeah. Yeah, and property is just like 
properties are way into talking about that in the same way that you've got your way into talking about it. It's just coming at it from a different angle. Well, that's what really gets me excited. The parallels are the same. And, you know, there's this thing of like, I first discovered index funds. I think, oh, these things can make me a millionaire. And I do it for a while and I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm going to make me a millionaire. And mm. then this is going to compound my wealth over time. Yeah. And it's the exact same realization. I yeah. think people are just looking for something, aren't they? You, like, you don't make money in investing. You grow money from investing, <laughs> yeah. whatever you invest in. So like, get investing in autopilot and go and figure out how to make more exactly. money. Exactly. Focus on the things that you, you've got leverage in or totally. that you, you can control the levers, like making YouTube videos or yeah. even being really good at your job and getting a 10% promotion so you Absolutely. can follow more into your professional yeah you know your investment endeavors totally all right nice one mate well thank you cool. I appreciate thank it. you if you want a summary of this episode with all the links we mentioned sign up to our newsletter using the link in the episode description and do keep writing in we love hearing from you so send us a question or tell us what you want us to cover in this season at making money at kindling.media also uh, while you're at it, remember to subscribe and please leave us a review. This is not financial advice. The reason it's not financial advice is because it's not tailored to you. Like we say a lot on the podcast, investments can fall and rise. In fact, this is almost a guarantee. Remember, past performance is no guarantee of future results. So your money is always at risk with investing. Also, remember other fees may apply. I'm Damien Jordan. I'm Tamina Carole. This episode was recorded by Jack Hobbs and edited and produced by Ruth Edwards. Music is by Felix Taylor. Our marketing director is Johnny Hunter. And it was all brought together by Will Stolomon. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.